Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Welcome back, everyone, to Bhaktivedanta Ashram Studios here at the foot of Govardhan Hill. Welcome back, everyone. We continue our reading of Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4. Just now we're on Chapter 1, Genealogical Table of the Daughters of Manu. And we're taking up at text number 32, 4, 34. And if anybody can remember all the names, places, and circumstances up till now, you'll get one rascula, <laughs> albeit a large one. Angira's wife, Shraddha, gave birth to four daughters named Sanivali, Kuhu, Raka, and Anumati. Besides these four daughters, she also had another two sons. One of them was known as Uthatya, and the other was learned scholar Rahaspati. Pulastya begot in his wife Havirbhu, one son of the name Agastya, who in his next birth became Dharagni. Besides him, Pulastya begot another great, very great and saintly son whose name was Vishrava. Vishrava had two wives. The first wife was Idavida from whom Kuvera, the master of all yakshas, was born. And the next wife was named Keshini. And from her were born three sons, Radha, Kumbhakaran, and Bidishana. 38. Gati, the wife of the sage Pulaha, gave birth to three sons named Karmashreshta, Viryan, and Sahishnu and all of them were great sages. Purport, Gati, the wife of Bulaha, is the fifth daughter of Karnavamuni. She was very faithful to her husband, and all her sons were as good as him. Number nine. Kratu's wife, Kriya, gave birth to 60,000 great sages, named the Valakilias. All these sages were greatly advanced in spiritual knowledge, and their bodies were illuminated by such knowledge. Purport Kriya is the sixth daughter of Kardamamuni, and she produced 60,000 sages who were known as the Valakilias. I'll just do that one more time to pronounce it properly, I'm sorry. Val. The Kilas, because they all retired from family life as Anaprasas. 40. The great sage Vashishta begot in his wife Urja, sometimes called Arundhati, seven spotlessly great sages headed by the sage Chitraketu. The names of these seven sages are as follows Chitraketu, Sulochi, Yiraja, Mitra, Ulbana, Vasu, Vridhyana, and Duman. Some other very competent sons were born from his other wives. Purport. 
where Ja, who is sometimes known as Anun Arundhati, and is the wife of Vashishta, is the ninth daughter of Kardama Muni. 42. Chitti, wife of the sage Atarvara, gave birth to a son named Ashva Shirar by accepting a great vow called Dadansha. Now you can hear from me about the descendants of the sage Bhrigu. The wife of Atarva known as Chitti is also known as Shanti and is the eighth daughter of Kandamamuni. The sage Bhrigu was highly fortunate and in his wife known as Kyati he begot two sons named Datta and Vidatta and one daughter named Shri who is very much devoted to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The sage Meru had two daughters named Ayati and Niyati, whom he gave in charity to Datta and Vidatta. They gave birth to two sons, Rakunda and Prana. 45. From Rakunda, Markandeya Muni was born, and from Prana, the sage Vedashira, whose son was Ushana Shukracharya, also known as Kavi. Thus, Kavi also belonged to the descendants of the Brigu dynasty. My dear Vidura, the population of the universe was thus increased by the descendants of these sages. Actually, all of them were born of the daughters of Kardama. Anyone who hears the descriptions of this dynasty with faith will be relieved from all sinful reactions. Other Another daughter of Manu, known as Prasuti, married the son of Brahma named Daksha. Daksha begot 16 very beautiful daughters with lotus-like eyes in his wife, Prasuti. Of these 16 daughters, 13 were given in marriage to Dharma, and one daughter was given to Agni. One of the remaining two daughters was given in charity to the Pitriloka, where she resides very amicably. And the other was given to Lord Shiva, who is the deliverer of sinful persons from material entanglement. The names of the thirteen daughters of Daksha who were given to Dharma are Shraddha, Maitri, Daya, Shanti, Kushti, Kushti, Kriya, Unnati, Vati, Medha, Titiksha, Hri, and Murti. These thirteen daughters produced the following sons. Shraddha gave birth to Shubha. Maitri produced Prasada. Daya gave birth to Abhaya. Shanti gave birth to Sukha. Tushti gave birth to Muda. Pushti gave birth to Smaya. Kriya gave birth to Yoga. Unnati gave birth to Darpa. Buddhi gave birth to Artha. Meda gave birth to Smriti. Titiksha gave birth to Shema. Henri gave birth to Prashraya. Murti, a reservoir of all respectful qualities, gave birth to Sri Narayan, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. On the occasion of the appearance of Narayan, the entire world was full of joy. Everyone's mind became tranquil, and thus, in all directions, the air, the rivers, and the mountains became pleasant. In the heavenly planets, bands began to play, and they showered flowers from the sky. The pacified sages chanted Vedic prayers. The denizens of heaven known as 
the Gandharvas and Kinneras sang, the beautiful damsels of the heavenly planets danced. And in this way, at the time of the appearance of Narayan, all signs of good fortune were visible. Just at that time, great demigods like Brahma also offered their respectful prayers. 56. The demigods said, Let us offer our respectful obeisances unto the transcendental personality of Godhead who created as his external energy this cosmic manifestation, which is situated in him as the air and clouds are situated in space and who has now appeared in the form of Narayan Rishi in the house of Dharma. Purport. The universal form of the Lord is in the cosmic manifestation, which is an exhibition of the external energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In space, there are innumerable varieties of planets and also the air, and in the air there are variously covered, colored clouds, and sometimes we see airplanes running from one place to another. Thus, the entire cosmic manifestation is full of variety. But actually, that variety is a manifestation of the external energy of the Supreme Lord, and that energy is situated in him. Now the Lord himself, after manifesting his energy, appeared within the creation of his energy, which is simultaneously one with and different from himself. And therefore, the demigods offer their respects to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who manifest himself in such varieties. There are some philosophers called non-dualists who, because of their impersonal conception, think that the varieties are false. In this verse, it is specifically stated, yo mayaya virachitam. This indicates that the varieties are a manifestation of the energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Thus, because the energy is non-different from the Godhead, the varieties are also factual. Thus, because the energy is non-different from the Godhead, the varieties are also factual. The material varieties may be temporary, but they are not false. They are a reflection of the spiritual varieties. Here the word pratichakshanaya. Which word? Dative form. There are varieties announces the glories of the Supreme Personality of Godhead who appeared as Narayan Rishi and who is the origin of all varieties of material nature. Text 57. Is everyone okay? Yes. Better than okay. Let that Supreme Personality of Godhead who is understood by truly authorized Vedic literature and who has created peace and prosperity to destroy the, all calamities of the created world be kind enough to bestow his glance upon the demigods. His merciful glance, glance can supersede the beauty of the spotless lotus flower, which is the home of the goddess of fortune. Purport, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the origin of the cosmic manifestation, is covered by the wonderful activities of material nature, just as outer space or the illumination of the sun and moon are sometimes covered by clouds or dust. It is very difficult to find the origin of the cosmic manifestation. Therefore, material scientists conclude that nature is the ultimate cause of all manifestations. But from Shastra or authentic literature like Bhagavad Gita and other Vedic scriptures, we understand that behind this wonderful cosmic manifestation is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. 
And in order to maintain the regular procedures of the cosmic manifestation and to be visible to the eyes of persons who are in the mode of goodness, the Lord appears. I'll tell you why he appears. Okay? Tell you what I'm going to do for you. It says right here. Therefore, material scientists conclude that nature is the ultimate cause of all manifestations. They do that a lot, right? But from Shastra, authentic literature like Bhagavad Gita and other Vedic scriptures, we understand that behind this wonderful cosmic manifestation is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And in order to maintain the regular procedures of the cosmic manifestation and to be visible to the eyes of persons who are in the mode of goodness, the Lord appears. He is the cause of the creation and dissolution of the cosmic manifestation. The demigods therefore prayed for his merciful glance upon them in order to be blessed. Give me two other instances where Krishna glanced upon one or more of his associates and thus gave some kind of blessing or benediction for 50 points. I was thinking um, Krishna in a different form as in Shringadev when he, yes, well, he touched Prahlad Maharaj. So I don't know that. We'll give you 10 points. Something that really struck me was in the past time when um, when uh, Krishna manifested all the Vishnu forms and it, it mentioned that with those Vishnu forms it was clear from their glancing that they were under complete control that they were completely controlling the modes of material nature mm-hmm. with their glances. And um, that's some... Okay. The judges are still calculating your points. Oh, he's eager. This is low. Lord Chaitanya glancing at the shawl of Sanatana Goswami. Not even Sanatana, he glanced at the shawl. Glanced at his shawl. That's a good one. Off the beaten path. 51 points. <laughs> Worth coming over to the screen. Prabhu, yes. When uh, Krishna glanced at the coward boys who, who had died, it happened on two occasions. Once Agasura. And the other one, Kalia, the lake, the poison, yeah. he just glanced at them and boom, they were all... Brought them back to life, back right? Bravo. Full 50 points time two. Pull that all the way close, please. Bugs like the little openings. Gives them hope. 58. Maitreya said, O Vidura, thus the demigods worshipped with prayers. The Supreme Personality of God had appearing as a sage, Narayan, and the Lord glanced upon them with mercy and then departed for Gundamad on a hill. That Narayan Rishi, who is a partial expansion of Krishna, has now appeared in the dynasties of Yadu and Kuru in the forms of Krishna and Arjuna, respectively, in order to mitigate the burden of the world. Purport, Narayan is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and Nara, is a part of the Supreme Personality of Godhead Narayan. Thus the energy and the energetic together are the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Maitreya informed Vidura that Nara, the portion of Narayan, had appeared in the family of the Kurus and that Narayan, the plenary expansion of Krishna, had come as Krishna. The Supreme Personality of Godhead with the purpose of delivering the suffering humanity from the pangs of material burdens. In other words, Narayan Rishi was now present in the world in the forms of Krishna and Arjuna. 
60. The predominating deity of fire begot in his wife, Swaha, three children named Pavaka, Pavamana, and Shuchi, who exist by eating the oblations offered to the fire of sacrifice. Purport, after describing the descendants of the 13 wives of Dharma, who were all daughters of Daksha, Maitreya now describes the 14th daughter of Daksha, Swaha, and her three sons. Oblations offered in the sacrificial fire are meant for the demigods. And, on behalf of the demigods, the three sons of Agni and Swaha, namely Pavaka, Pavamana, and Shuchi, accept the oblations. 61. From those three sons, another 45 descendants were generated, who were also fire gods. The total number of fire gods is therefore 49, including the fathers and the grandfather. Purport. The grandfather is Agni, and the five, and, excuse me, the grandfather is Agni, and the sons are Pavaka, Pavamana, and Shuchi. Counting these four plus 45 grandsons, there are altogether 49 different fire gods. 62. These 49 fire gods are the beneficiaries of the oblations offered in the Vedic sacrificial fire by impersonalist brahmanas. Purport, impersonalists who perform Vedic fruit of sacrifices are attracted to the various fire gods and offer oblations in their name. The 49 fire gods are described herewith. The Agnishtvatas, the Bahishtas, the Somyas, the Ajyapas, and the Pitris, they are either Sagnitnika or Niranika. The wife of all these Pitris is Swadha, who is the daughter of King Daksha. Swadha, who was offered to the Pitas, begot two daughters named Vayuna and Dharani, both of whom were impersonalists and were expert in transcendental Vedic knowledge. The sixteenth daughter, whose name was Sati, was the wife of Lord Shiva. She could not produce a child, although she always faithfully engaged in service of her husband. The reason is that Sati's father, Daksha, used to chastise Lord Shiva in spite of Shiva's faultlessness. Therefore, before attaining a mature age, Sati gave up her body by dint of yogic, mystic power. Purport. And it's the last one in the chapter. So it's your last chance to take advantage of the benediction of this chapter. Lord Shiva, being the head of all mystic yogis, never even constructed a home for his residence. Sati was the daughter of a great king, Daksha, and because his youngest daughter, Sati, selected as her husband, Lord Shiva, King Daksha was not very much satisfied with her. Therefore, whenever she met her father, he unnecessarily chastised her husband, although Lord Shiva... What? Yeah, well, it's a little different. Yeah, it's what it says here. Criticized her husband, although Lord Shiva was faultless. Because of this, before attaining a mature age, Sati gave up the body given by her father, Daksha, and therefore she could not produce a child. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the fourth canto 
first chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam entitled Genealogical Table of the Daughters of Manu. Bravo! Bravissimo! Sadhu, sadhu! Chapter 2. Any comments about the first chapter? Yes. Quick comment, here comes the mic. Prabhupada says, one's determination is fulfilled according to the strength of one's devotion. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping to seek more clarity on that. In my own practice, I think I often do it the opposite way, where I think, well, in order to chant really nicely, I need to have some grit and kind of grind my teeth a little bit and get it done, get up early every day. And and in the... In a lot of your make Japa greats, again, you've quoted the uh, something Prabhupada said, where he said that one could chant well by effort and determination. And um, so is it that perhaps the substance of that determination is meant to be devotion, or, you know, it's not supposed to just come from, like, a my might point of, of view, or is it something different? Well, according to Kamalasana, you should have a relaxed mind and be present for the holy name. Well, in a beginning stage of practice called Vaidhi Bhakti, one has to be inventive. Bhakti Thakur talks about chanting in that stage in the Harinam Chintamani, and he said you should try various ways in order to catch a flyer, as they say in track and field. There's a way that we may interpret or anticipate the ways of our minds and at some times before we have full-on sustainable taste or we've achieved that stage of nourishing, that nourishing stage where we're very steady, we may have to sometimes have grit and at other times we may feel calm, cool, and just hear the holy name and so forth. So it's it's a it's all good. It's no it's not stereotype. One has to do the best one can. But definitely paying attention is always recommended, and that requires various arrangements because the mind is so fickle and tends to go off track so easily. Shanai Shanai Uparamed, Krishna says in the sixth chapter of the Gita on Dhyan Yoga that gradually, step by step, one should try to bring the mind under control. Something that came to me was the ever-fresh nature of transcendental literature, because now it's the fourth time I'm reading the fourth candle, but it's like, it just seems new. Like, I just, like I'm going all these verses for, for the first time. So just I was just appreciating that point. Yeah, that's a nice point. One, two. Sort of what Anupam was saying also, there was a similar quote, the demigods say to him, uh, you are perfect in your determination, therefore it will happen. If not, um, it will not happen otherwise. We have to be perfect in our determination. Maybe you could say something about how we can become perfect in our determination, how we can root out things that are distracting us and understand uh, like, in what ways we're not fully applying ourselves. First, you have to. it's helpful to define the word determined. So it has the word terminus in it which means there's an ending point. Determination means 
you're ready to go from here to there and complete the task. And you come to the end. You don't quit halfway through the book or halfway through your rounds. And root out. There's a way that by, Krishna says, by practice and detachment. Because Arjuna asked Krishna, how do you get around the mind that is, what are the, he says, no, no, he says the characteristics of the mind. Chanchalam means moving all the time. Balavadrida means they're very strong, very determined, and it's also crazy. Chanchalam himana krishna. Pramati means it's insane. And so then Arjuna says, oh, how are you going to get around that? And Krishna says, by practice and by detachment over time. Especially, as mentioned by in the sixth canto of the Bhagavatam and the story of Ajamil and in the Harinam Chintamani, chanting Hare Krishna, especially, there's uh, the power of the holy name itself. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur says that chanting in Namabasa means just a tad above offensive chanting is so beneficial that it's more important or more valuable than reading all the Vedas, bathing in all the holy places, performing every kind of yoga you can, one name in Namabas. And therefore, the Padma Purana says, Nama Parada Yuktanam, Nama Nyeva Harantyagam, Avishrani Prayuktani, Tamyevartakarani Cha. That even if you're offensive in your chanting, you should continue because there's every chance that you'll accidentally chant one name in Namabas. And just by that one occurrence, you can be lifted to the next level of chanting. So it relates to the idea of determination, how to uproot the distractions and so forth, is to have a set number, Sankhya I I'm going to finish this number. And in the beginning, in Vaidhi Bhakti, consistency is king. Because if you continue to do it, on a regular basis, then something's got to give somewhere. And generally, people who are too offensive, they can't continue it. So that's why we say, don't, don't make, don't make it worse for yourself by becoming indignant towards people and mixing up the philosophy in crazy ways. Just be simple. Take the straightforward path. Don't offend anybody, and keep chanting, and Krishna's name will prevail. I have a question on um, verse six, uh, 64. It says that Swada, she, um, she gave birth to uh, daughters and both of them were impersonalists and yet they were experts in transcendental and Vedic knowledge. Um, what I, I understood was that if one has Vedic knowledge, um, they can be distracted, but here it says they also had transcendental knowledge. So how is it that they are impersonalists? Well, in the fifth canto of Bhagavatam, in the verse, Mahatmanas to, no, it, it's a Mahat Sevam Dwarvam Hurvam Muktes Tamodaram Yoshitam Sangi Sangam, Mahantas Te Samachita Prasanta, Vimanyavak Surira Saravaye. Probably quotes in the, he says in the purport, you should serve transcendentalists. And he said, there's two classes of transcendentalists there's the devotees and the impersonalists. And he doesn't disparage them there so much. He just says, well, they're both transcendentalists because they both understand, and in other places he says this too, because they, underst- 
they understand the principle that we're not our bodies and the ultimate goal is Brahman and so forth. And those who are in that position, they gravitate towards the impersonalist in, um, presentation in, in the Shastra according to their mindset, their, their worldview. They see it that way. So what I'm saying is in one sense, in, impersonalists or impersonalism can be a phase of spiritual development. Because even Shukadev Goswami in the beginning is described as impersonalist. Of course, Sarvabhama Bhacharya was a Mayavadi. But Shukadev was kind of a Brahmavadi. It's possible to make that case. And that he saw things in an impersonal way until Atmaramash Jamunayo Nigranta Apyukrame. Then he got a taste for variety from the spiritual world. Four Kamaras too. It's the verse. Nayanasya. Tasya Ravinda Nayanasya. Padaravinda Kinjalka Mishra Tulasi. Makaranda Vayu. Tinkinjalka Mishra Tulasi. Look it up. Here. Yes, do you have a point while we're looking it up? Gurmaraj, just on this point you were talking about but and like. Yeah. I found a reference in the fifth canto about uh, King Nabi. Yes. And uh, this is 5.3.13. The translation is as follows. Dear Lord, here is the great King Nabi, whose ultimate goal in life is to have a son like you. <laughs> your lordship is, sorry, your lordship, his position is like that of a person approaching a very rich man and begging for a little grain. 50 points. Okay. Tashyaravinda nayanasya padaravinda kinjalka misha tulasi makaranda vayu. First word only. Antar vahi tanubritan ashuban madun. That's another verse. Okay, say it again. Antar antar gata svavivarena chikara te sham. Sanshobam akshara jusham apichitarbo. Yeah, that was a. They were impersonalists until they smelled the. They perceived. So that's a better word. Perceived the the scent of the tulsi flowers, the fl the aroma of tulsi flowers, and then their heart changed, and they weren't impersonalists anymore. Guess what? We're starting the next chapter. And we still have a few minutes left. Ready? Buckle your seat belts. This is Daksha curses Lord Shiva. Not for the faint of heart. Here we go. Vidura inquired, why was Daksha, who was so affectionate towards his daughter's daughter, so envious of Lord Shiva, who is the best among the gentle? Why did he neglect his daughter, Sati? Purport. In the second chapter of the fourth canto, the cause of the dissension between Lord Shiva and Daksha, which was due to a great sacrifice arranged by Daksha for the pacification of the entire universe, is explained. Lord Shiva is described here as the best of the gentle because he is not envious of anyone. He is equal to all living entities, and all other good qualities are present in his personality. Shiva means all auspicious. No one 
can be an enemy of Lord Shiva's, for he is so peaceful and renounced that he does not even construct a house for his residence, but lives underneath a tree, always detached from all worldly things. The personality of Lord Shiva symbolizes the best of gentleness. Why then was Daksha, who offered his beloved daughter to such a gentle personality, so intensely inimical toward Lord Shiva that Sati, the daughter of Daksha and wife of Lord Shiva, gave up her body? Two, Lord Shiva, the spiritual master of the entire world, is free from enmity, is a peaceful personality, is always satisfied in himself. He is the greatest among the demigods. How is it possible that Daksha, could be inimical towards such an auspicious personality. Purport. Lord Shiva is described here as Charachara Guru, the spiritual master of all animate and inanimate objects. He is sometimes known as Bhutanath, which means the worshipable deity of the dull-headed. Bhuta is also sometimes taken to indicate the ghosts. Lord Shiva takes charge of reforming persons who are ghosts and demons, not to speak of others who are godly. Therefore, he is the spiritual master of everyone, both the dull and the demoniac, and the highly learned Vaishnavas. It is also stated, Vaishnavanam yata Shambhu, Shambhu, Lord Shiva, is the greatest of all Vaishnavas. On one hand, he is the worshipable object of the dull demons, and on the other, he is the best of all Vaishnavas or devotees, and he has a sampradaya called the Rudra Sampradaya. Even if he is an enemy or is sometimes angry, such a personality cannot be the object of envy. So Vidura, in astonishment, asked why he was taken as such, especially by Daksha. Daksha is also not an ordinary person. He is a prajapati in charge of fathering population, and all his daughters are highly elevated, especially Sati. Sati means the most chaste. Whenever there is consideration of chastity, Sati, this wife of Lord Shiva and daughter of Daksha, is considered first. Vidura was astonished that there could possibly be so much enmity between Daksha, who is such a great man, the father of Sati, and Lord Shiva, the spiritual master of everyone, that, that the most chaste goddess Sati gave up her body in that quarrel. Keep going. 3. Vidura therefore inquired, My dear Maitreya, would you kindly explain to me how such a son-in-law and such a father-in-law could quarrel so bitterly that the great goddess Sati could give up her life with which it is not easy to part? The sage Maitreya said, In a former time the leaders of the universal creation performed a great sacrifice in which all the great sages, philosophers, demigods, and fire gods assembled with their followers. Purport. Upon being asked by Vidura, the sage Maitreya began to explain the cause of the misunderstanding between Lord Shiva and Daksha, because of which the goddess Sati gave up her body. Thus begins the history of a great sacrifice performed by the leaders of the universal creation, namely Marichi, Daksha, and Vashishta. These great personalities arranged for a great sacrifice for which demigods like Indra and the fire gods assembled with their followers. Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva were also present.
When Daksha, the leader of the Prajapatis, entered that assembly, his personal bodily luster as bright as that of the sun, the entire assembly was illuminated, and all the assembled personalities became insignificant in his presence. Influenced by his personal bodily luster, all the fire gods and other participants present in that great assembly, with the exceptions of Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva, gave up their own sitting places and stood in respect for Daksha. Daksha was adequately welcomed by the president of the great assembly, Lord Brahma, and after offering his, him his respect, Daksha, by the order of Brahma, properly took his seat. Before taking his seat, however, Daksha was very much offended to see Lord Shiva sitting there and not showing any respect to him. At that time, he became greatly angry, and his eyes glowing, he began to speak very strongly against him. Purport. Lord Shiva, being the son-in-law of Daksha, was expected to show his father-in-law respect by standing with the others. But because Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva are the principal demigods, their positions were greater than Daksha's. Daksha, however, could not tolerate this, and he took it as an insult by his son-in-law. Previously also, he was not very much satisfied with Lord Shiva, because Lord Shiva looked very poor and was niggardly in dress. 9. All sages, Brahmins, and fire gods present here, please hear me with attention, for I am speaking about the manners of gentle persons. I am not speaking out of ignorance or envy. Purport. In speaking against Lord Shiva, Dr. tried to pacify the assembly by presenting in a very tactful way that he was going to speak about the manners of gentle persons, although naturally this might affect some unmannerly upstarts and the assembly might be unhappy because they did not want even unmannerly persons to be offended. In other words, he was in complete knowledge that he was speaking against Lord Shiva in spite of Shiva's spotless character. As far as envy is concerned, from the very beginning he was envious of Lord Shiva, therefore he could not distinguish his own particular envy. Although he spoke like a man in ignorance, he wanted to cover his statements by saying that he was not speaking for impudent or envious reasons. Isn't that an interesting observation of the psychology of criticizing others? That one indemnifies oneself before saying it, saying like, this isn't envy. <laughs> this is necessary. I have to say this, right? I'm not stealing. No offense, but it has to be said. And I do it with the most noble intentions. Shiva has spoiled the name and fame of the governors of the universe and has polluted the path of gentle manners. Because he is shameless, he does not know how to act. Purport, Daksha wanted to impress upon the minds of all the great sages assembled in that meeting that Shiva, being one of the demigods, had ruined the good reputations of all the demigods by his unmannerly behavior. The words used against Lord Shiva by Daksha can also be understood in a different way, in a good sense. For example, he stated that Shiva is Yashogna, which means one who spoils name and fame. So this also can be interpreted to mean that he was 
so famous that his fame killed all other fame. Again, he used the word nirapatrapa, which also can be used in two senses. One sense is that is one who is stunted, and another sense is one who is the maintainer of persons who have no other shelter. Generally, Lord Shiva is known as the Lord of the Bhutas, or lower grade of living creatures. They take shelter of Lord Shiva because he is very kind to everyone and is very quickly satisfied. Therefore, he is called Ashutosh. What's he called? Ashutosh. To such men who cannot approach other demigods or Vishnu, Lord Shiva gives shelter. Therefore, the word Nirapatrapa can be used in that sense. 11. He has already accepted himself as my subordinate by marrying my daughter in the presence of fire and the brahmanas. He has married my daughter, who is equal to Gayatri, and has pretended to be just like an honest person. Purport. Daksha's statement that Lord Shiva pretended to be an honest person means that Shiva was not honest because in spite of accepting the position of Daksha's son-in-law, he was not respectful to Daksha. 12. He has eyes like a monkey's, yet he has married my daughter, whose eyes are just like those of a deer cub. Nevertheless, he did not stand up to receive me nor did he think it fit to welcome me with sweet words. I had no desire to give my daughter to this person who has broken all rules of civility. Because of his not observing the required rules and regulations, he is impure. But I was obliged to hand over my daughter to him just as one teaches the messages of the Vedas to a shudra. Purport. A shudra is forbidden to take lessons from the Vedas because a shudra, due to his unclean habits, is not worthy to hear such in instructions. This restriction, that unless one has acquired the Brahminical qualifications, one should not read the Vedic literatures, is like the restriction that a law student should not enter a law college unless he has graduated all lower grades. According to the estimation of Daksha, Shiva was unclean in habits and not worthy to have the hand of his daughter, Sati, who is so enlightened, beautiful, and chaste. The word used in this connection is binna setave, which means one who has broken all the regulations for good behavior by not following the Vedic principles. In other words, according to Daksha, the entire transaction of the marriage of his daughter with Shiva was not in order. It reminds me that in Ramayan, there's a story of Ramachandra um, executing a shudra who's performing uh, Vedic sacrifices. And I was once at a program, I can't remember where, and an educated man was there. I think he was a, a teacher at a local school. And he, he liked Krishna conscious, but he was fairly new. But he had read Ramayan, and after the class, he came up and asked me about that story. He said, so why? Why would Ram go in and uh, execute this shudra for studying the Vedas. Doesn't, shouldn't everybody study the Vedas? And uh, it actually decapitated him. So I, was a, I didn't have a, a ready answer for him at that time until 
I looked into the matter more. And uh, one who gave me a really excellent answer was uh, Radhika Raman Prabhu, and he was talking about how the Vedas and the rituals and the performance of sacrifice in the Vedas are like modern-day technology. In fact, the study of geometry and trigonometry comes from Vedic times, and they were they were tools by which one would construct the, the yagyastali, like we did today, only we didn't use trigonometry. Theirs were so precise because it was a kind of technology by which they could supersede the powers of nature. And if someone dabbled in it, they didn't have either the proper knowledge, they could do it in a way that could be harmful, or they, if they weren't clean in habit, they could also master the art and use it for the wrong reasons. And he compared it to almost like having the nuclear codes and you know, handing over the nuclear codes to somebody who's uncouth or has no morality or is unethical or just doesn't care is dangerous for everybody in the world. So it's the king's duty to protect the people. And if somebody, an uneducated, low-class person, then takes that technology, they steal the paperwork, and then they start messing with it, then it's the duty of the king to execute them. I have a question. We started at 11, right? So normally we'd be starting at 10.30 and going to 1, right? So do you want to stop now so you can get ready for lunch? Or keep going and then, okay, we have one vote for keep going. Is that two? Yeah. Make up for the half hour. Yes, you may. Microphone, please. When when Daksha, you know, started um, his what he was saying about Lord Shiva, and you know, he was saying he wasn't doing it out of envy, envy. But then he used words that could be taken in two ways, you know, either as an insult or as a glorification. And was that his way of covering him himself? Usually, it's Chai. not. Usually, what it is is the is the acharyas who read it. It's not specifically stated here, but in almost every other case, when a low-class person is chastising or criticizing a high-class person who's not fit to be chastised, especially Krishna or, in this case, Shiva, it's the acharyas who are, who are making the commentary who then soften it or reverse it and say, oh, it doesn't actually mean that. What it means is, and Rukmini did it too, because Krishna, as we read the other day, <laughs> she said all these, Krishna said so many things about himself, and then Rukmini said, well, that here's what it actually means. So in my experience, throughout Prabhupada's purports, the, it's the acharyas who do that. We can look at it in, um, I have the, on my, iPad, the commentaries by Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, and we can see if it matches up to that idea. I'll check. Anything else? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. It's outside. 
please go ahead. Let's test out the outside commentary, the Akashvani. We don't hear. Prabhu, we can't hear you. Go ahead. Are you speaking? You got to turn on the mic. Mic's not on. Inconvenience is regretted. Prabhu? Hare Krishna. Okay. Keep the door closed because the bugs come in. Either You can come in though, if you like. Prabhu. We got your mic back. So, um, I just thought when Daksha was uh, speaking to Shiva, to criticize Shiva, he, he said he's like a Shudra, he has eyes of a monkey, he's uncivilized, shameless, and so on and so forth. I was thinking this is like a first very common logical fallacy called ad hominem. hominem. That, uh, you know, a person, not a, um, you know, not actually an argument, not not the position of an argument, but just irrelevantly attacking a person without any really uh, confronting what what's the real real situation. So I just thought this. Right. In rhetoric, it's one of the logical fallacies called ad hominem, which means you don't actually address the issue itself. You just go to criticizing the person. <laughs> Give the dog a bad name and hang it. Thank you, Prabhu. Nice point. Mahendra? Uh, it was related to this. Uh, Prabhupada said that he couldn't, um, he couldn't notice his own envy uh, and hmm. actually stated the opposite. Um, so, because Bhaktivinoda Thakur explains that uh, there, is a, there is sometimes a sound reason for... Um, stating others' faults, which may seem like an apparado or, or offense or criticism, but uh, if, and then he lists different reasons, if it's for the benefit of others and it's done in the proper mood, and then he gives example of Shukadev Goswami telling the story of Brahma chasing his daughter. So it may seem like Daksha was like, I, I want to speak for the benefit of all to explain what's the proper etiquette, etc. But uh, he, he couldn't notice his own envy. So, so this seemed to be a. I'm, I remember once I made a comment on that, uh, quoting back to Vinodakura and then one senior devotee. Well, everybody who is criticizing basic from devotee says, I do it for, for the benefit of others and, you know, just to to bring up the point, but often we don't notice actually how it comes out of envy or for some other malignant motive. So could you elaborate on that? How we, Just, be careful we have to be hyper-vigilant and follow what our mother said, which is if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. It's same with anger, because there's a sense in Krishna consciousness you can use anger in Krishna's service. Oftentimes it's Justification. It's like that's why I became angry. It's it's for service. Anger is really dangerous. It's like high voltage. If you don't have a certificate, you shouldn't be climbing the pole. And same thing with criticism or anger. If you don't know exactly what you're doing, Prabhupada in the in the austerities of speech, he said even if you have, he said you should only offer criticism to people who've signed up for it means somebody came as a disciple and they say, okay. Because living entities don't like to be criticized. Even animals, you know, it's like, hey, get off there and like, 
So it's like if they come to you and say, like, you know, please find fault in me, even then you have to be careful because Peter Burbosch once told me in running his company, he said when people would come for their interview, he said he'd always ask him, so how do you like your criticism? Are you a sensitive type? Do you like to actually have it straightforward? Because they're making him aware that I may have to correct you because you're an employee. We have to do things right. But he was saying you can never be too careful. We'll read a couple more. Yeah, it's hard to get around the eyes of the monkey thing and say. <laughs> I meant that in the best possible way. <laughs> he lives in filthy places like crematoriums and his companions are the ghosts and demons. Naked like a madman, sometimes laughing and sometimes crying, he smears crematorium ashes all over his body. He does not bathe regularly, and he ornaments his body with a garland of skulls and bones. Therefore, only in name is he Shiva or auspicious. Actually, he is the most mad and inauspicious creature. Thus, he is very dear to crazy beings who are in the gross mode of ignorance. And... He is their leader. Purport. Those who do not regularly bathe are supposed to be in association with ghosts and crazy creatures. Lord Shiva appeared to be like that, but his name Shiva is actually fitting, for he is very kind to persons who are in the darkness of the mode of ignorance, such as unclean drunkards who do not regularly bathe. Lord Shiva is so kind that he gives shelter to such creatures and gradually elevates them to spiritual consciousness. Although it is very difficult to raise such creatures to spiritual understanding, Lord Shiva takes charge of them. And therefore, as stated in the Vedas, Lord Shiva is all auspicious. Thus, by his association, even such fallen souls can be elevated. Sometimes it is seen that great personalities meet with fallen souls, not for any personal interest, but for the benefit of those souls. In the creation of the Lord, there are different kinds of living creatures. Some of them are in the mode of goodness, some are in the mode of passion, and some are in the mode of ignorance. Lord Vishnu takes charge of persons who are advanced. Krishna conscious Vaishnavas. Lord Vishnu takes charge of persons who are advanced Krishna conscious Vaishnavas. And Lord Brahma takes charge of persons who are very much attached to material activities. But Lord Shiva is so kind that he takes charge of persons who are in gross ignorance and whose behavior is lower than that of the animals. Therefore, Lord Shiva is especially called auspicious. On the request of Lord Brahma, I handed over my chaste daughter to him, although he is devoid of all cleanliness, and his heart is filled with nasty things. Purport, it is the duty of parents to hand over their daughters to suitable persons, just befitting their family tradition in cleanliness, gentle behavior, wealth, social position, etc. Daksha was repentant that, on the request of Brahma, who was his father, he had handed over his daughter to a person who, according to his calculation, was nasty. He was so angry that he did not acknowledge that the request was from his father. He referred to Brahma as Parmeshti, the supreme teacher in the universe. Because of his temperament of gross anger, he was not even prepared to accept Brahma as his father. 
In other words, he accused even Brahma of being less intelligent because he had advised Daksha to hand over his beautiful daughter to such a nasty fellow. In anger, one forgets everything, and thus Daksha, in anger, not only accused the great Lord Shiva, but he criticized his father, Lord Brahma, for his not very sanguine advice that Daksha hand over his daughter to Lord Shiva. The sage Maitreya continued, Thus Daksha, seeing Shiva sitting as if against him, washed his hands and mouth and cursed him in the following words. The demigods are eligible to share in the oblations of sacrifice, but Lord Shiva, who is the lowest of the demigods, should not have a share. Purport, due to the, this curse, Shiva was deprived of his share of the oblations of Vedic sacrifices. It is due to the curse of Daksha, Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments in this connection that Lord Shiva was saved from the calamity of taking part with other demigods who were all materialistic. Lord Shiva is the greatest devotee of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and it is not fitting for him to eat or sit with materialistic persons like the demigods. Thus the curse of Daksha was indirectly a blessing for he would not have to eat or sit with other demigods who were too materialistic. There is a practical example set for us by Gorakishore Das Babaji Maharaj, who used to sit on the side of a latrine to chant Hare Krishna. Many materialistic persons used to come and bother him and disturb his daily routine of chanting. So to avoid their company, he used to sit by the side of a latrine where materialistic persons would not go because of the filth and obnoxious smell. However, Gorakishore Das Babaji Maharaj was so great that he was accepted as the spiritual master of such a great personality as his divine grace Om Vishnu Pad Sri Srimad Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami Maharaj. The conclusion is that Lord Shiva behaved in his own way to avoid materialistic persons who might disturb him in his prosecution of devotional service. 19. Maitreya continued, My dear Vidura, in spite of the requests of all the members of the sacrificial assembly, Daksha, in great anger, cursed Lord Shiva and then left the assembly and went back to his home. Anger is so detrimental that even a great personality like Daksha, out of anger, left the arena where Brahma was presiding and all the great sages and pious and saintly persons were assembled. All of them requested him not to leave, but infuriated he left thinking that the auspicious place was not fit for him. Puffed up by his exalted position, he thought that no one was greater than him in argument. It appears that all the members of the assembly, including Lord Brahma, requested him not to be angry and leave their company. But in spite of all these requests, he left. That is the effect of cruel anger. In Bhagavad Gita, therefore, it is advised that one who desires to make tangible advancement in spiritual consciousness must avoid three things, lust, anger, and the mode of passion. Actually, we can see that lust, anger, and passion make a man crazy, even though he be as great as Daksha. The very name Daksha suggests that he was expert in all material activities, but still, because of his aversion towards such a saintly person as Shiva, he was attacked by these three enemies, anger, lust, and passion. 
Lord Chaitanya therefore advised that one should be very careful not to offend Vaishnavas. He has compared offenses towards a Vaishnav to a mad elephant. As a mad elephant can do anything horrible, so when a person offends a Vaishnav, he can perform any abominable action. 20. Nandishwar, one of the principal associates of Lord Shiva, upon understanding that Lord Shiva had been cursed, became greatly angry. His eyes became red, and he also prepared to curse Daksha and all the Brahmanas present there who tolerated Daksha's cursing Shiva in harsh words. Purport, there is a long-standing dissension among some of the neophyte Vaishnavas and Shaivites. They are always at loggerheads. When Daksha cursed Lord Shiva in harsh words, some of the Brahmins present might have enjoyed it because some Brahmins do not very much admire Lord Shiva. This is due to their ignorance of Lord Shiva's position. Nandishwar was also affected by the cursing, but he did not follow the example of Lord Shiva, who was also present there. Lord Shiva could also have cursed Daksha in a similar way, but he was silent and tolerant. Nandishwar, his follower, however, was not tolerant. Of course, as a follower, it was right for him not to tolerate an insult to his master. But he should not have also cursed the Brahmanas who were present. The entire issue was so complicated that those who were not strong enough forgot their positions. And thus cursing and counter-cursing went on in that great assembly. In other words, the material field is so unsteady that even personalities like Nandishwar, Daksha, and many of the Brahmanas present were also infected by the atmosphere of anger. Anyone who has accepted Daksha as the most important personality and has neglected Lord Shiva because of envy is a less intelligent person and because of visualizing in duality will be bereft of transcendental knowledge. Purport. The first curse in this connection by Nandishwar was that anyone supporting Daksha was foolishly identifying himself with the body and therefore, because Daksha had no transcendental knowledge, supporting him would deprive one of transcendental knowledge. Daksha, Nandishwar said, identified himself with the body like other materialistic persons and was trying to derive all kinds of facilities in relationship with the body. He had excessive attachment for the body and bodily relations like wife, children, home, and other such things, which are different from the soul. Therefore, Nandishwar's curse was that anyone who supported Daksha would be bereft of transcendental knowledge of the soul and thus also be deprived of knowledge of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Pretentious religious householder life in which one is attracted to material happiness and thus also attracted to the superficial explanation of the Vedas, robs one of all intelligence and attaches one to fruit of activities as all in all. Purport. Persons who identify with bodily existence are attached to the fruit of activities described in the Vedic literature. For example, in the Vedas it is said that one who observes the Chaturmasya vow will attain eternal happiness in the heavenly kingdom. In Bhagavad Gita, it is said that this flowery language of the Vedas mostly attracts persons who identify with the body. To them, such happiness as that of the heavenly kingdom is everything. everything. 
they do not know that beyond that there is the spiritual kingdom or kingdom of God, and they have no knowledge that one can go there. Thus they are bereft of transcendental knowledge. Such persons are very careful in observing the rules and regulations of household life in order, in order to be promoted to the next life, to the moon, in the next life, to the moon or other heavenly planets. It is stated here that such persons are attached to gramyasuk, which means material happiness, without knowledge of eternal, blissful, spiritual life. Daksha had accept, has accepted the body as all in all. Therefore, since he has forgotten the Vishnupad or Vishnugati and is attached to sex life only, within a short time he will have the face of a goat. Who's speaking? Hmm? Nandishwar. Those who have become as dull as matter by cultivating materialistic education and intelligence are nesciently involved in fruit of activities. Such men have purposefully insulted Lord Shiva. May they continue in the cycle of repeated birth and death. Purport. The three curses mentioned above are sufficient to make one as dull as stone, void of spiritual knowledge, and preoccupied with materialistic education, which is nations. After uttering these curses, Nandishwar then cursed the Brahmanas to continue in the cycle of birth-death because of their supporting Daksha in blaspheming Lord Shiva. These are pretty intense curses, aren't they? No holds barred. May those who are envious of Lord Shiva being attracted by the flower language of the enchanting Vedic promises and who have thus become dull always remain attached to fruit of activities. Purport, the Vedic promises of elevation to higher planets for a better, better standard of materialistic life are compared to flowery language because in a flower there is certainly an aroma. But that aroma does not last for very long, does not last for a very long time. In a flower there is honey, but that honey is also not eternal. These Brahmanas take to education, austerity, and vows only for the purpose of maintaining the body. They shall be devoid of discrimination between what is to eat and what is not to eat. They will acquire money begging from door to door simply for the satisfaction of the body. Purport, the third curse which was inflicted by Nandishwar on the Brahmanas who supported Daksha is completely functioning in the age of Kali. The so-called Brahmanas are no longer interested in understanding the nature of the Supreme Brahman although a brahmana means one who has attained knowledge about Brahman. In the Vedanta Sutra also it is stated, Atato Brahmajignasa, this human form of life is meant for realization of the supreme Brahman or absolute truth. Or in other words, human life is meant for one's elevation to the post of a brahmana. Unfortunately, the modern brahmanas or so-called brahmanas who come in originally Brahminical families, have left their own occupational duties, but they do not allow others to occupy the posts of Brahmanas. The qualifications for Brahmanas are described in the scriptures. In Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, and all other Vedic literatures, excuse me, I, I've lost the uh, cadence, 
Unfortunately, the modern Brahmanas, or so-called Brahmanas, who come in originally Brahminical families, have left their own occupational duties, but they do not allow others to occupy the posts of Brahmanas. That's better. The qualifications for Brahmanas are described in the scriptures, in Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, and all other Vedic literatures. Brahmana is not a hereditary title or position. If someone from a non-Brahman family, for example, one born in the family of Shudras, tries to become a Brahmana by being properly qualified under the instruction of a bona fide spiritual master, these so-called Brahmanas will object. Such Brahmanas being cursed by Nandishwar are actually in a position where they have no discrimination between eatables and non-eatables and simply live to maintain the perishable material body and its family. Such fallen, conditioned souls are not worthy to be called Brahmanas. But in Kali Yuga, they claim to be Brahmanas. And if a person actually tries to attain the Brahminical qualifications, they try to hinder his progress. This is the situation in the present age. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu condemned this principle very strongly. During his conversation with Ramananda Roy, he said that regardless of whether a person is born in a Brahmana family or a Shudra family, regardless, regardless of whether he is a householder or a sannyasi, if he knows the science of Krishna, he must be a spiritual master. Verse, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Ram, Hare Ram, 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 Hare. He had many so-called shudras, somebody calling in to complain. He had many so-called shudras, shudra disciples like Haridas Thakur and Ramananda Roy. Even the Goswamis who were principal students of Lord Chaitanya, were also ostracized from Brahmin fam society. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, by his grace, made them first class Vaishnavas. Take uh, one or two comments as we close the morning reading. The first one. Yes, Prabhu. In the purport, Prabhupada says that uh, Daksha had become angry and um, he couldn't remember that his father, Lord Brahma, had arranged uh, the marriage between his daughter and uh, Lord Shiva. He didn't was, remember that? He forgot because there was He anger. forgot. <laughs> and I was thinking of the pastime with Jambavan in the mm. Samataka jewel, how Krishna came to search for the jewel and Jambavan had become very, very angry. Yeah. And um, he just couldn't remember for so many days in fighting who Lord Krishna was. He was a fighting, but when his anger subsided, then he remembered who Lord oh. Krishna was. Oh. So, um, Prabhupada uses the word vipandadi, which means it, intelligence become lost. And I was thinking as Vaishnavas, you know, sometimes we become angry <laughs> at other Vaishnavas for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, we should uh, not press the send button if we want to retaliate or, you know, uh, shoot arrows with harsh words. <laughs> we should understand that, that vipandadi, we've lost our intelligence and mm. let the anger kind of subside and then things can be resolved with a bit more uh, sanity. Good points. Forewarned is forearmed. And Braja Bihari Prabhu, who does mediation, said that to the degree that 
one's emotion goes up to that same degree, it's an inverse relationship. One's reasoning goes down, crosses in the middle. Shoo! Shaknoti haiva yashodhum prakshariya vimokshanat kamakrodot vavam vegam sayukta sasukinara. Krishna says in chapter 5, 8, 5, that one who can develop the power, the shakti, to overcome this shaknoti prakshariya vimokshanat kama, lust, kroda, anger, kama krodot vavam vegam, these urges, they're if you're able to develop this power to overcome the urges of desire and anger, then you become, before you die, he says, mark it off on your to-do, on your bucket list. <laughs> overcome lust and anger before I die. And then he says, for such a person, before dying can do that, then he becomes a happy human. Okay, time for one more comment, and it better be good. Go ahead. Is the question okay? Yeah. Um, in the first verse of the Upadesha Amrita, Srila Prabhupada writes that one can become angry with those who are um, non-devotees. So how do you? Because even doing something like that seems dangerous. It is. That's what I said earlier. Although that. Although anger can be used, my observation is that, I mean, there's using your anger and losing your anger. And most people lose their anger and said, I meant to do that. Using anger requires a permit. You have to have a permit. Because there's a way that, I mean, I think on Sankirtan we've learned a lot. You become angry at people and they just think you're low class. They don't think, oh, he's using anger. And there's also an inordinate result that you get from trying to chastise people because you're a superior human being. So you have to be really careful. Although I have, I remember one time, and I can't remember, I think I wrote it in in somewhere, maybe in, in that book I wrote. But I was in New York City, and I was approaching people on Canal Street, it's a wacky street. And there was some kid who was really kind of a punk. You know, he had his jeans pulled down. You know how they do that? They're halfway down their thighs. And it, he had a, you know, he just, like he had to, he had a drink. He was suck, like a shake or something he was sucking on and his hat was backwards. The kind of profile. And I just, I just remember I was approaching everybody and approached him and he be, he gave me some like, ew, who are you? You know, what are you doing here? Kind of thing. And I, and I've, it's the only time I can remember that I used anger in a constructive way because I said, well, I don't need you. You need me. It was a little forceful. It wasn't over the top, but it, he... I noticed that he kind of like, it's like, wait a minute. Because he was so sure of himself that I, he had some context that he was looking at and he thought like, I'm just some useless beggar or something like that. And when he saw that I was resolute and that like, I don't need you, you need me. And it was spoken out like a vague sense of anger. 
that that he was kind of so my realization of it is if we use it it should be really channeled just like electricity it has to go through a, a wire and it's going somewhere very specific and we thought it out ahead of time or we're practiced in it so that it doesn't electrocute anybody or electrocute ourselves om tat sat thank you very much everyone for joining the first session of 2023 reading of bhagavatam here at govardhan hill dear shila prapa dear shi chaitanya mahaprabhu shi shi panchatattva shi shi krishna balaram if you so desire please let us imbibe all the lessons from the shrimad bhagavatam and use them for the glory of shila prapa preaching all over the world thank you for considering our request everyone agrees with this prayer in part or in whole please say hari krishna Gaur Premanande, Nittai Gaura Haribo, 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 Nittai Gaura Haribo, Nittai Gaura Haribo, 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 Nittai Gaura Haribo. Haribo, 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 Ha